Hello, my name is Ron Barnett, the host of the All Things Contemplative podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be doing something a little different in that I do not have a guest, but I will be talking about contemplative photography, uh, an area that has increasingly gained interest uh, among many. But before we turn uh, to contemplative photography, I wanted to mention, as I always do, that if you have a topic or a speaker that you would like to have on the podcast to learn more from, please let me know, and I'll see what I can do with arranging that. The best way to reach me is through email, and my email address is on the podcast blog. So, contemplative photography. I wanted to begin uh, this subject with a quotation not from a photographer, but from actually a poet, William Blake, who wrote, If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear as it is. For one has closed oneself up till one sees all things through narrow openings. That's William Blake, the famous uh, American poet. So in thinking about what I wanted to share today, uh, it really begins in my childhood and as an antecedent to my own interest in contemplative photography. And it was even before I even had heard the word or knew what the word contemplative uh, was. Uh, that's because both of my parents were designers and they spent uh, a great deal of time and awareness on things that were visual. My father worked in commercial design, and my mother worked in residential design. I can say uh, quite safely that I was often uh, disoriented when I would come home from school, grade school, and my mother had reorganized the living room, which she happened to do about every month uh, to have it look differently to express her creativity. So that was kind of the beginning of my interest in things visual. About 10 years ago, I began to become more interested in photography. And actually, one year, I set a, a goal for myself to take a photograph every day of the year. I wasn't thinking about anything contemplative, but just simply to be in touch with my own visual process of seeing and to document that with a photograph. So I did that one year and uh, collected 365 uh, images. But throughout my um, adult life, I had always been involved in uh, one kind of contemplative practice or another. I had an appreciation for contemplation and all things contemplative. And uh but I had never really related it to uh, photography or to what I saw in the visual world. Uh, then one uh, month, I began to sort of question, well, what is a contemplative photograph? Uh, since my interest in photography had increased greatly, and I also had this strong background in contemplative practice, I started to put the two together. 
And as it happened, I had a, a print uh, from Elliot Porter, the well-known nature photographer of an area in eastern Kentucky called the Red River Gorge. And it was a very sort of simple photograph of a uh, kind of a woodland area with red, red buds uh, in bloom. And I began as I would walk past that from day to day to stop and, and take that uh, photograph in. And I began to become aware that uh, inside of the woodland, between the trees, between the bushes, there seemed to be, for lack of a better word, a certain presence or a certain spaciousness that I was tuning into. And then after that episode happened a number of times, uh, I did as most of us do. I went to Google and I simply plugged in the word contemplative photography. And what came up was a book by Andy Carr and Michael Wood, The Practice of Contemplative Photography, which uh, I immediately purchased. At the same time, uh, I began to question why we call it taking a photograph. Uh, because in much of my own contemplative experience, much of what results and happens is one of one of where one receives something, this or that. And so it seemed to me that with photography that would have something to do with contemplation, that it would be more not so much taking something that I saw as being open and receiving something, whatever that something might be. It's certainly that taking photographs is something that uh, each year increases. Uh, in 2017, InfoTrends estimated that there were 1.2 trillion photographs that were taken. And then last year in 2020, Keypoint Intelligence estimated that there was 1.4 trillion photographs that were taken. Uh, prior to these years, it was in the billions. And it's really no surprise as to what's causing this increase in photography. And that's the smartphone, uh, which increasingly everyone has one. And therein is a camera. And people are taking photographs uh, left and right. However, I would suggest that very few of those photographs might be called contemplative photographs. Okay. And what do I mean? Let's sort of lay out a term here. What is a contemplative photograph? According to my understanding, it's one where there's a distinction made between our thinking mind and what we might call our awake mind. Our thinking mind is, is one that we're all very familiar with. Uh, it has to do with reasoning, analysis. It draws on our memories uh, from long-term and short-term. It, it involves our ability to plan for the future, problem-solve, etc. This is the mind that we're all very familiar with uh, because we use it to successfully navigate the world. But 
In addition to that mind, we also have available to us what I would call awakened mind. And this is simply a mind that is aware, that is still, and that is receptive, and that is not driven or mediated by our memories, our labels of things, our preferences, and uh, any kind of um, association that we have. So when we see the visual world with this awakened mind, in a way we're not limited by the operations of our thinking mind, our memory, our reasoning, our planning, etc. So we're open to more of the beauty in the world, the elegance that is in the visual world, and the uniqueness that is around us. And to the extent that we only access that visual world or see that visual world with thinking mind, in some way we're limited by the operations of thinking mind. Why would this be? Well, usually our awareness is enmeshed in our thinking mind uh, internally. Uh, but what happens is that when we turn our awareness out toward the visual world, uh, it could be any aspect of the visual world that comes into view. Uh, when those moments occur, and oftentimes people have these moments spontaneously, they're not trying to have them, they have no agenda to have them, uh, they're just walking along or wherever they may be, doing whatever they're doing, all of a sudden they'll have a what you might call a flash of perception. They'll see something that comes out of the blue uh, that then if they're sensitive to it, they could potentially express what they're seeing uh, with a photograph. The meditation teacher Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche put it thus, there is such a thing as unconditional expression that does not come from self or other. It manifests out of the nowhere. It manifests out of nowhere, like mushrooms in a meadow, like hailstorms, like thunder showers. Let me read that one again. There is such a thing as unconditional expression that does not come from self or other. It manifests out of nowhere, like mushrooms in a meadow, like hailstorms, like thunder showers. So when that happens, uh, it's totally unpredictable what the subject matter might be of a given photograph. Uh, it could be, it would be whatever one is perceiving at the time uh, that is unconditionally uh, expressing itself. After I had read the book, uh, The Practice of Contemplative Photography by Carr and Wood, uh, I uh, contacted Michael Wood and uh, expressed my interest in, in learning more about contemplative photography. 
And it turned out that he was affiliated, in fact, was a co-director and founder of an institute devoted to contemplative photography uh, with Julie DeBose. And I began to take classes uh, with them at the institute and have continued to do so ever since. And uh, it became such a central part of my own life that I went on and, and become a became a certified teacher with the Institute. I learned a couple of of key things in my studies at the Institute. First off is uh, the idea of there being three clarities involved in photographing contemplatively. And the first clarity that needs to be uh, discovered is simply that flash of perception of when one sees something that is out of the blue, that, if you will, stops one's mind and uh, brings one up short. That would be the first clarity of identifying what that is and really what the core of the perception is. The second clarity is visually clarifying what it was I saw. The second clarity is visually clarifying what it was I saw. Where does the perception begin? Where does it end? Is it more of a vertical perception or a horizontal one, etc.? So that would be the second clarity. And the third clarity is trying to express it photographically as closely to what I perceived as, as possible. And really, the key of these three clarities is the second clarity, because we have a natural sort of an impulsive tendency when we see something that's beautiful or that's elegant or that's unique, that is not a result of our creation, but simply happens, then we quickly want to photograph it without really identifying, rather clarifying visually what the perception was. So that tends to take a certain amount of discipline, uh, not to immediately take a photograph, but just to stop and spend a little time seeing what we saw and clarifying what it was. I should say that everyone has the inherent ability to see the visual world with awakened mind. It's not some special, uh, special talent of highly creative people or people who uh, know a lot about photography. In fact, knowing too much about photography can sometimes get in the way of being receptive and open to uh, contemplative seeing. So when one has expressed what one has seen in this manner, uh, we can safely say that nothing was added and nothing is missing from the photograph. In other words, we didn't add something that uh, seeped over, if you will, from thinking mind or affected our perception uh, before, during, or after. And nothing is missing. The photograph expresses exactly what we saw, what stopped our mind in the moment of the here and now. There's a story that well represents this 
one of the teachers at the Institute took a photograph. Uh, it was uh, of a uh, part of a person. I'll put it that way. And someone asked the teacher, well, why didn't you photograph the person's shoulders and their head? Why did you only photograph what was below that? And the teacher responded, well, I didn't photograph it because I didn't see it. And that really well expresses the notion of nothing added, but also nothing missing. So with that, I hope I've given you some idea of what contemplative photography is. Uh, I know it may have seemed a little abstract at times, a little bit conceptual, uh, and therefore I would invite you to go to my uh, contemplative photography website and check out some of the photos there, and I think it'll give you a, a perhaps a better sense of what I've been discussing. I'll put that uh, web link to that site in the uh, show notes. So with that, I wish you peace, and I'll see you down the road. And with that, this episode of All Things Contemplative comes to a close. I hope you found it interesting and informative, and will join me for the next episode. Peace.